You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Ivory. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. What does a letter sent to people across an ocean 2,000 years ago have to do with people in the United States and Canada today? What does a letter written so long ago to people in other countries who spoke other languages have to say to people in Haiti and Jamaica today? Today's guest is Dr. Absin Joseph, and he's talking about such a letter. It's the letter of First Peter. It's a letter that, does it, that addresses topics that we consider not politically correct, topics of slavery and submission, topics of suffering. In today's episode, you'll hear Dr. Absin Joseph discuss the wisdom of 1 Peter and how we might apply it to our own day and age and why this letter still matters. Dr. Absin Joseph is the Vice President of Academic Affairs and Professor of New Testament here at Wesley Seminary. He is a colleague of mine. He's my boss. He's my friend. And I appreciate uh, what I've learned from him, not only in our collegial work at the seminary, but also in his work as a biblical scholar. And trust that this episode will be illuminating to you as you explore First Peter. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsors and then enjoy the podcast. We are Wesley and you belong here. My name is Victoria Borum and I am Wesley. I'm Lenny Lucchetti and I am Wesley. My name is Chris and guess what? I am Wesley. Hi, I'm Tina Shapit and I am Wesley. We recognize this beautiful diversity that the Lord has called together that is Wesley. My name is Corey Merritt, and I am Wesley. I am Wayne Brown, and I am Wesley. I am Colleen Durr, and I belong here. You belong here too, because we are Wesley. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, Dr. Joseph. We're glad that you've joined us. Thank you for the invitation. I've been looking forward to coming back on the podcast. Well, this is a bit of a, a parallel episode, let's call it like that. We had your lovely wife, Dr. Levicheva, on, and she was speaking about Ecclesiastes, uh-huh. um, the uh, one-volume commentary on Scripture, and you as well added a chapter to the volume on First Peter. And so Indeed. I thought, well, it'd be great to have uh, the, the duo on, right? Uh, have, have Lara talk about Ecclesiastes and have you talk about First Peter. So let me just start out by asking you this. How did you get interested in First Peter? I think the way I've answered this uh, when asked, I think it's a two-step process. One that is um, conscious and one that I think was subconscious. Uh, the conscious one uh, started uh, while I was studying uh, at Caribbean Western College in Jamaica, uh, we were studying the general epistles, the illustrated Reverend Edna Myrie. So our students uh, who are listening from Jamaica uh, will, will know Reverend Edna Myrie and also our listeners in the Caribbean will also know her. And just the way she opened up uh, the scripture. And uh, I remember writing a paper on um, the Christian way of life from First Peter and uh, just being captivated by the message of holiness Mm-hmm. And finding the way Peter talks about it being very, very uh, practical. And, um, and then when, when I got to Asbury Seminary, I was uh, attending a seminar on, on the death of Jesus Christ, uh, taught by uh, Dr. Joel Green. 
and um, one of the one of the passages there that he had given us to study was the way in which Peter talks about the death of Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh, he's a he's a I didn't associate First Peter with you know the death of Christ and and uh, going to First uh, Peter two eighteen to twenty five. And uh, I was, I think, in my second year, uh, I wrote a paper for that class, and he gave me a feedback saying, oh, this would make a good PhD dissertation. I haven't seen this argument or this approach, or that angle before. So from that time on, I've kind of been diving into First Peter, directing everything towards that in terms of my, my scholarly pursuit, but also in terms of my, my spiritual, spiritual uh, development. So that's the conscious part. The subconscious part um, was the fact that about five years ago in 2015, I went back to Haiti to my home church and I hadn't gone back. So there's the 2010 uh, uh, earthquake. And uh, because of situations, I haven't been back to Haiti. So I went to 2015. By then I was teaching about hermeneutics and, and um, the way we read and, and reading location and all of that. So I walk into my church and for the first time it dawned on me as I walked into the church right over the baptistry is a verse from first Peter sanctify in your heart Christ as Lord. And I'm like, huh, is it possible that there was something about first Peter that grabbed me from an early age? I've been, I've gone to that church. This is a church that I've gone to from, you know, from the very beginning that I still remember of that church. Is, it, is there something, every time I walk into that building, that, that, that verse is there, and it's become such a part of, in terms of when I talk about the, the, the need and, and desire to live a holy life. So I think there's both of these then that, that I think contribute to that, to that love for First Peter. Well, help us to get our minds around it. Uh, first Peter, uh, I love First Peter 5. I think it's one of my favorite passages in speaking about pastoral ministry and pastoral mm -hmm. theology. It was preached at my ordination service, so maybe there's a subconscious and conscious element there. But mm -hmm. I would love to hear from you as one who's not just delved into a few verses, but really the whole thing. Share with me and our listeners, what do you discern as Peter's First Peter's main message to us? I think First Peter's main message is about how should Christian respond to suffering? Hmm. How should Christian respond to suffering? Um, the, the, the message there, then in terms of the, that response, is multifaceted. Uh, it, involves, it involves, you know, a life of holiness. It involves when to speak, when not to speak. It involves imitating Christ. It involves... A number of things you know uh, um, love loving one another but the primary thing is how do you live how do you respond to suffering which kind of also is connected in the idea of how do you live a godly life in an ungodly society because the ungodly society is what living a, living in an ungodly society is what's creating the pressure right living that godly life in an ungodly society is creating that pressure so even when I talk about suffering, Peter is not addressing all kinds of suffering uh, kind of in an unblanketed statement, but suffering that is caused for living a holy life. Suffering that is brought about because you've made a decision to live a certain way. And as a result of that decision, you're suffering pressures from the outside world. 
and he is writing to Christian to help them understand how to navigate that. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, so we're in the midst of COVID-19 and they're suffering in that way. We're living in the midst of, with general lockdowns, like some, some suffering has emerged because people have not been able to have surgery or diagnosis has gone, has, uh, some diagnosis has not happened in due time. And, and then there's just the natural, I mean, I remember reading of reports of the increase of domestic violence in people's homes as people were just around one another for, for more time and there's increase in stress and anxiety. So we can look around and see suffering in many different facets, right? This yes. global context, social context, even home and personal context. Uh, what would you say to a person, maybe we've got pastors listening in that are shepherding people through suffering. Maybe we have people that are saying, you know, this has been a suffering time for me. What would you, how would you encourage them from First Peter's message of how to live out suffering in a Christian way. Yeah, um, one of the one of the very interesting way in terms of the way in which Peter crafts his message is the way he presents. When you read the letter as a whole, you see multiple options of of how to how to approach an issue. So it's not so it's not just black and white. It's about the wisdom to know the difference. He talks about, you know, being silent, but then he also talks about, you know, speaking. So I will say it's the wisdom, the wisdom to look at a situation and, um, and take appropriate action. Um, First Peter is encouraging Christians to, to nourish and nurture hope. One of the key, one of the key themes of that, on, of that letter is the idea of hope. The hope that God is in control, the, the hope that God is present with us in the midst of the things that we're going through. So I think one of the one of the ways we can uh, we can uh, approach that letter is is to is to embody that hope that 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 Peter speaks of. The hope that you know um, COVID may be around for a long time, but won't be forever. Or if it does, a solution will be found. Um, domestic violence is caused by many, you know, things, emotional uh, challenges and difficulties. Um, what does it mean for us to find rest in knowing that, you know, God is present with us? Uh, what does it mean for us as a church um, to come alongside those who are suffering in that, in, that, in that way and providing the right kind of counseling, the right kind of support uh, so that uh, those that are that, that are you know being being uh, being uh, what's the English word I'm looking for um, those in uh, victim those that are being victimized yeah those that are being victimized can um, can find a safe place so that we don't just say oh we're praying for you but actually do something as a church in order to really some some concrete ways of providing uh solace and, and a safe place uh for those that are for those that are suffering i'd love to hear some of your thoughts on two themes that are uh obviously contentious for us and people might even say, see, this is one of the ways that the Bible promotes injustice. So in First Peter 2, you've got commendations for slaves to submit to their masters. Uh -huh. And as this is just assumed to be part of the, um, the structured authority of the world. Uh, 
sure. uh, that Peter's living in. He says, slaves submit to your masters. And then you've also got in First Peter 3, he says, wives submit to your husbands. Mm-hmm. And yes. people might say, this is, this is perpetuating, this is encouraging uh, unjust structures and injustice. As a scholar of First Peter and sure. one who is submitting to this word as scripture, how do you uh, teach us about these passages? What are, what are these saying and how can we faithfully apply these knowing that, well, we don't want to imp- perpetuate injustice sure. and in any form, but we still are saying, well, this is, this is uh, scripture that we want to learn from. How, how, help us through that. Yeah, so I'll provide two, two answers. One, one will be from the text itself and the other is kind of more conceptual, conceptual uh, approach. Uh, when, when we look at the text of First Peter, uh, there is there is a way that um, the the exhortation you've got the exhortation to everyone, starting from two eleven, then you've got the exhortation to the slaves, and then you have Jesus Christ, example, in two eighteen, then you get the exhortation to the women in chapter three, and then you go back to exhortation to everyone. So for those who have done, you know, inductive Bible study and other things, so that's what you call kind of a, a chiastic structure. You've got everyone, slaves, Jesus Christ, women, everyone. So there's a way in which Peter, the central, the central aspect of what Peter is doing is presenting Jesus Christ as the example of one who suffered unjustly and, um, and was vindicated by God. So to, again, to answer your question, I have to kind of provide the broader structure in terms of first Peter in that the, the way Peter is encouraging Christians to respond is to not take matters into their own hands, but to allow space for God as the father, God, the father to show up and vindicate our cause. It is a situation where when Peter talks about submission, the language that he uses there is one that's not the picture of a doormat. Um, and I can't do this, this is, this is on audio, but basically it's the idea of when you're standing up and you're letting go. So like you're opening the door because you got there first, but you open the door and you tell the person, why don't you go ahead? So it's understanding your right, but making the conscious decision not to use it because you know whose you are. That's why in the very beginning of the letter, blessed be God, the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom in his great mercy has given us. So it's about God. It's about Jesus Christ. And in the ancient world, there was the idea of the, the kingsman redeemer, the father as the person who, who protects, who provides, who vindicates. Okay. So Jesus is the best example of that. So that's why you, to, to understand his words to the slaves and to the women, you have to start with Jesus Christ, which is at the center of that structure, literary, literary structure. And Jesus Christ, uh, when he was abused, he didn't return abuse, when he was uh, beaten, and the, in that list there, all of the actions or reactions of Jesus Christ are spoken. He didn't threaten voice, he didn't return abuse, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So from that standpoint, when thinking about his, his exhortation to slave, again, submission, it's not, it's not submit to the abuse. It's not, Peter is not saying that the slaves are not recognized. It's, he's not, 
there's there's a sub there's a subversive there's a subversive element in it where that you know that's common to the entire New Testament where at face value they seem to be promoting what the social structure and construct has but undermining it right by addressing them by by speaking to slaves and giving them personhood and value and and saying you have you have internal will that matters and can yes. live it out faithfully and by speaking to wives and saying um you know you matter and you have choice and you have attitude that really matters and and can be acted out faithfully. There's a way that's that's giving dignity and recognizing the dignity of these persons. Am I hearing you right? Exactly, exactly. And then um, when 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 he then addresses the slaves and the women, Peter is addressing. I'm going to. It's very tricky. I'm going to use the word the weakest link, not in the sense that they're weak, but those are the most vulnerable mm. people in the congregation, congregations. Now he's already addressing people who are suffering. He's addressing people, they're in diaspora. These are people who are on the margins. So he's actually strengthening, he's using the, the, the most vulnerable in the congregation as examples of what it means to be like Jesus Christ. Now, again, um, if somebody, goes to that text already with the preconceived idea that, well, this is another perpetuation of slavery, another perpetuation of abuse, then you will, you will find what you want to see. But there's a way to read this as a way of uplifting these people. Because of the time he is writing, he can't and is not intending to upstage the side of school, but addressing them in a way that will help them be, be viewed, be seen, but also empowering them within the congregations to say, guess who is most like Christ in their suffering? Right. The slaves and the women. Yeah. So a slave or a woman in that congregation can say, oh, I can look to Jesus for an example. And now again, you submit not because you are just allowing the abuse, you submit because by not taking matters into your own hands, God, you trust God to deliver you. And because they have the example of Jesus Christ, whom God had delivered already, the example, First Peter has the most Old Testament quotations per capita uh, in the books of the New Testament. They can see examples of people that God had delivered in similar situations. And then can say, well, based on that, I can have hope that God is going to also uh, deliver me. But if we, if we were then to talk about the women, there's a subversive piece in that as well. Because again, when he talks to the, to the husband, right? He doesn't just talk to the women. He also talks mm -hmm. to the husband mm -hmm. about the way they should behave, talking about they too are in our heirs of the grace of life. How, what does it look like for us to collaborate, to, I'm going to use the word, suffer together. What does it mean as a husband to be attuned to the, to the vulnerability of your wife in a larger society and work together so that nothing will hinder your prayers, he says. So then, again, at face value, he seems to maintain the status quo, but a deeper reading 
shows that he is actually up, up, you know, uh, upsetting the, the system. So it's a kind of a long literary answer. Conceptually, and, I, and this is an argument that works for Philemon uh, or Philemon, depending on how you pronounce that, and then for First Peter. Imagine, imagine the Bible, imagine the Bible uh, telling the story of a God who, whose primary attribute is redemption, mm. whose greatest act is salvation and freedom. It is a God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of, you know, the God of Joseph, the God of Israel, who takes them out. The Exodus is the greatest act that the children of Israel will look back to. Peter talks about Exodus, right? Why will a church who celebrates Exodus, who worship a God who saves, will collect and save a document that perpetuates slavery? I think it's counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, the church collects those documents because they see in them a way that 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 supports the the overall message of the bible which is one of freedom which is one of mutual love which is one where as you come into the family of god everyone is treated like family and then irrespective of your status there's a way of life and a way to do life together that 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 is uh that that create promotes dignity and uh and self-worth well i'm thinking about how this this is a letter that's scattered and sent to the church that's scattered across asia minor and so you've got at multiple local churches which are already gathered in kind of scandalous ways as uh -huh. you've got free people and masters and slaves and men and women and, and all together there's, there's already some scandal there and whenever it's being read publicly and, and Peter is addressing slaves and Peter is addressing women, there's already a challenge. And it's like, uh -huh. why, why in the world is he writing to them? Why isn't he just addressing the people who are in the positions of power? Uh -huh. People who are in the positions of power have to be overhearing, right? They're overhearing. Yep. It's, like, it's like whenever I'm, I'm talking to a parent and I get down on my knee and I talk to their, their child. It's a, it's a way of the parent is seeing how I'm addressing their child in a way that's full of respect. Now we, we would assume that, we more assume that because in the West we cherish children, right? There's a way that- yep we cherish children, but this is a way of humanizing those who it would be easy simply to ignore. Mm -hmm. Peter addressing those who would be easy to ignore is a way of, as you say, uh, turning things upside down. And whenever you see the, the broader themes of um, them all bearing one another's honor and honor together, right? Like they're to present yep. Uh, how they're to live in society is their mutual honor. And, and so husbands be considered of their wives. And, and there's got to be an overhearing of slaves to say, or to masters, if, well, if slaves are to suffer as Christ and they're mine, then I better treat them as I would treat Jesus. Uh -huh. Right? There's a way that it's resetting justice, even while it's completely found within the context of first century. Exactly. Right? It's like, sometimes we say to the Bible, we're like, man, I wish it was more practical. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty practical book, right? Like that is the nuts and bolts of living practically together in a first century context with a mind uh, baptized in the Old Testament and a desire to follow Christ and, and to be his and say like, Jesus is living out the will of God faithfully. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that is just, it, it, it's, it takes some work 
it takes some perspective. It takes some thinking, but I'm like, okay, now I can start to apply that to my own life. How can I live in my own home in a way that says, okay, how am I treating my children as I would treat Jesus? How am, I, how am I being considerate of my wife? What is God actually saying to them that I should work really hard at overhearing so that I can live out God's will faithfully in my family? What is God saying to my children that I want to overhear so that I can parent them well? What is God saying to my wife that he's allowing me to overhear so that I can uh, live out my own faith well in my home. It's exceptionally practical. It, it is, it is. And um, speaking of, of the subversive piece, right before he addresses the slaves, there's a, there's a place there where he actually talks about human authority, right? Mm -hmm. And again, people, when you combine those, those things about when he's talking about respect of human authority and then, and then, then talking about the slave combined, you feel like, oh, he's, he's doing that. But even there, there's a subversive piece where in the language, uh, in, in the original language, he's talking about, you know, God as creator, but then the, the language he uses to describe what we call human authority is actually human creation, mm. kind of institution. Again, yeah. placing them under the authority of God, wink, wink, they are going to have to give an account to the way they treat you, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he also talks about, there's that list of, you know, honor the emperor, but you know, honor everyone. And you see that he talks about love the brotherhood of believers. And then one, the emperor is listed last, talking about protocol, but you didn't honor everyone. You, you give honor to whom honor is due. So again, when you read these, you're thinking, oh, of course, but people would like say, what? Yeah. No. So there, there's language there that's just very subversive that, that's setting up all of that and then taken together, they, they create that sense of countercultural approach and understanding. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, it requires a change of approach, which is why uh, already at the beginning of the letter, 117, he talks about prepare your mind for action. So that's, that's the way, that's the way the English translated. But in the original language it's it's like uh the image that's used there it's of an athlete who's getting ready to run a race gird the loins of your understanding is the way it translated literally so what he's asking us to do it's doable but it's not easy it's countercultural. it's going to require a shift in our imagination if we think we're going to approach first peter and then you're going to just see what you've always seen and then eventually live as you've always lived, you've missed it. It requires an open, an open mind. It requires a willingness to allow the text to unpack you that, that then will create that shift in the mind and heart so that you can live differently, counterculturally. I'm thinking of uh, the evidence that this text has been effective is the fact that it, it doesn't sound strange to us. Exactly. It, 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 sounds, it sounds strange in the sense that it's not politically correct in the 21st century, but it's precisely because of the effect of texts like this and this itself that we see and desire to honor and dignify other people. But to see that that, was, that in itself was strange in the first century, right? It's like we're on the far side of strangeness and we've missed the courage, uh, not only for this to be written, and of course, I mean, Peter 
the the grace of God in Peter's life for his own life to be one of faithful even unto the end of of becoming a martyr, right? Peter's courage to write this um, or to be written in the spirit of Peter, however the authorship work works out. Uh-huh. Um, the courage of those who received it to live it out and to listen to it and to preserve it, right? Yes. It, it would not have been a given that such a countercultural document would have would have survived. Indeed. But the church was courageous to keep it around and to submit to it and say, this kind of broad dignifying of everybody in our church is who we want to be. It's wisdom given to us from God and our leaders. And we're going to keep it and copy it and share it. And exactly. that was a courageous activity. And so it should inspire us to, to uh, handle it with humility and not with, not with arrogance. It says, what in the world was he saying that for? Right. Uh-huh. But it's to be with humility and say, okay, what was written to people who were humble and faithful and courageous because that's who I want to be as well. Amen. Amen. Uh, Dr. J, thank you so much for joining us on the Wesley Seminary podcast today. It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. <laughs> and if I'm right, you are doing some work on James as well. Is that right? I'm doing some work on James. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm finishing the, I'm putting the final touches to the, the seedbed uh, series uh, on the, the one daily weekly Bible studies. Excellent. Uh, so I'll be, I'm writing the one on James, so that should be out soon. Well, and when that's out, we'll have you back and you can talk about James, another practical book. Maybe you're drawing. Very, very practical. There's a lot of, there's a lot of overlap between James and, and First Peter. All right. Well, I look forward to having you back on, my friend. Thank you for taking this time to share part of your story with us and to share some of your wisdom from First Peter with us as well. My pleasure. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you listeners for tuning in. Hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Wesley Seminary podcast. Be sure to check out Dr. Larissa Levicheva's episode on Ecclesiastes. Uh, Here at the Wesley Seminary podcast, we want to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry, and we hope that today's discussion of 1 Peter uh, serves that purpose. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Cam for his great production and editing work. I always appreciate Cam's uh, efforts to make the podcast work. And thank you, Dr. J. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, listeners, and trust you all to God, and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.